Well, today I'm feeling just a little bit nostalgic, remembering a time in my lifetime when the radio and television news personalities strove for honesty and integrity. Hello, Americans. This is Paul Harvey. Stand by for news. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome to the Tuesday edition of Truth to Ponder. And I'm your host, Bob Bierman. I'm so glad you're with me today. Yeah, I'm feeling nostalgic. I'm remembering a different time in my younger years when I first got into the the broadcasting industry. I can remember first job I ever had. My first paying job 50 years ago. Little radio station in a small town in upstate New York. And I didn't do a whole lot of news at that radio station at first, but occasionally on the weekends, there were some news stories that I had to gather. And I learned how to make the telephone calls to the sheriff's office, uh, the state police, the local police departments, anything that had happened in the, uh, in the past so many hours, checking other news sources, the teletype that we had. And I learned how to put together a newscast. When I went on to college, one of the first things I learned was the integrity of your newscast. That as a radio journalist, now remember, this is 50 years ago. This is not 50 days ago or 50 minutes ago. This is 50 years ago. When you listen to a local radio station, for the most part, you could trust whatever that news person told you. And for a number of years, in the first 10 years of my career, I had the opportunity of being hired to do news at a number of radio stations. The news business has has changed a lot. Unfortunately, the newspapers, which, you know, generally speaking, had an editorial bias. Let me see if I can make sure that in case you're not catching this. Even back 40, 50 years ago, a newspaper had an editorial bias that you found on the editorial page, their opinion. But on the front page, and this includes the New York Times 50 years ago, pretty much they try to be as factual as possible, as unbiased as possible, for a reason. 50 years ago, there was some competition in newspapers in a city like New York. There's some newspapers that were there 50 years ago that are gone now. Circulation has shrunk for most of the newspapers. But back then, integrity was very important. And people could smell the bias, so to speak, in a newspaper. Now, when I was a youngster, you had the New York Times, the Daily News, the New York Post, one of the oldest newspapers in the United States, the New York Herald Tribune, which is no longer around, and I think another one, then Long Island Newsday. Those were the newspapers, for the most part, we saw. And the editorial pages differed immensely from newspaper to newspaper. But here's something that I've I've noticed for the most part in this day and age. All the newspapers 
at least the major newspapers of which I'm aware. I'm sure there are some exceptions, but most of the major newspapers, Washington Post, New York Times, L.A. Times, they all seem to be in lockstep on their editorial page and how their bias in a story shows through on their front page. Now, the New York Post is one of the few that are a little bit different. They tend to not fall into the leftist um, bias mode. That's the only word I can think of, a leftist bias mode. Obviously, the New York Times, the Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, all of them wanted to see Joe Biden win. And it's not so much what they said on their editorial page It's how they covered Joe Biden on their front page. Or in the case of this campaign last year, what they left out of their reporting. There was a lot of that that occurred. Social media has become both a a gift and a curse on our society. It has some good aspects to it, but as they have grown they become more problematic. Facebook is a great example of a good idea gone wrong. The idea, or what they claim to be the idea, I have some other opinions about Facebook that some others share its true origins, but in theory, it's a nice place where everybody can come together and share thoughts and ideas, pictures of your cat, recipes, what's going on in your life, even your politics. And if you think back, and I'm going back to 2008, when I first got involved doing anything on Facebook. And frankly, I really could have cared less about this new thing called social media. I didn't like it. I thought it was silly and a waste of time. But my job at the time was to be a public information officer. So people said, hey, Facebook and Twitter are the wave of the future. We're going to have to use it. And so we did. And in the early days, there weren't that many postings made every day on Facebook. It was almost kind of like a stale website for the most part. But over time, as people began to interact with that page, we had to put more information on that page. All of it was a good idea. And up until maybe two years ago, I never worried much about the things that I posted on on Facebook, on my personal Facebook account. I never worried much about the things that I said on Twitter, on my own personal account. I've used Facebook and Twitter in the past, not recently, but I'm saying in the past, for various ministry uh, ventures that I've been involved in, even for churches to connect with their community. Kind of a little, the one thing Facebook could be good at is people get to get a peek inside of your church before they come to visit. And there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of people have a hard time 
They may want to go to your church. They may want to visit your church, but they're a little bit hesitant because they don't exactly know what to expect. What is the dress code? What are people like? What is the service like? Are there just a few people there or is it crowded? The music, you know, it makes people at least when people use like Facebook Live and they do it correctly, it gives people a feel. By the way, some of your Facebook Live stuff out there for churches, you ought to just, you need some help. But Facebook started to grow. And it wasn't just among young people. Suddenly, parents and grandparents were using it to share pictures of grandchildren. And it became universally accepted in virtually all age groups. The only competitor that Facebook barely had when they started was a website called MySpace that didn't last too long. Facebook became dominant. Whether by accident, whether by careful planning or design or just being at the right place at the right time with the right idea remains to be seen. So we have this social media situation growing in America. And now we have something really disturbing that is occurring. I I shared this, I started yesterday, a story that I'd run across. And this this comes from over this past weekend. Salesforce, that's the name of a company, Salesforce CEO Mark Benoff demands Facebook censor disinformation. Okay. Now, he's also the owner of Time Magazine which seems to have a bit of a bias of its own. And Mark Benioff has criticized Facebook allowing the spread of what he calls disinformation on the Facebook platform. He did an interview on CNN. And take a fast listen to what he had to say. It's this digital revolution that is really, you know, kind of has the world, you know, in its grip. And in that grip, you can see the amount of mistrust and misinformation that is happening inside the digital revolution. This is what has to be addressed. And when you look at the pandemic, when you look at the sustainability crisis, when you look at the political situation, all of these things come back to one situation, which is we have a lot of mistrust that has been seeded, and that mistrust needs to be addressed, and especially the mistrust that is happening on these social networks. Now, just so you know, Benioff, Mark Benioff, is one of those tech billionaires himself. And he talks about this digital revolution has the world in its grip. And in many ways, it really does. I'm trying to find ways around the singular narrative that is often found in the mainstream media. And then at the same time, being extremely careful when I go to what were essentially called alternative websites or news sites, because some of that can be highly suspect as well. And in a way, I partly agree with what he says, what, what Benioff says. Um, we can be very bombarded with some fake information. The problem is that what Benioff doesn't want to recognize, some of that fake information, some of that distorted news comes from his own publication time magazine some of that comes from nbc abc cbs msnbc cnn they've been caught many a time distorting the news 
That's what I was saying. I'm feeling nostalgic about people like Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey lets you know what he thought. And everything he said had logic and honesty and integrity. You could take what he said to the bank. They, they tell me that, especially in the Midwest, and even in some of the rural parts of like Pennsylvania and even upstate New York, Ohio, Indiana, the entire growing belt. When Paul Harvey came on the radio, all the tractors came to a standstill and their engines got turned off as they listened to him daily for 15 minutes for Paul Harvey news and commentary. Now, many off singled out Facebook as a platform with the greatest misinformation problem. I think part of the misinformation problem is the stuff that Facebook puts out. I can post something that I know is factually accurate. And one of their stupid fact checkers will be all over it. I'm sorry. When I post something that has been carefully researched from, shall we say, the horse's mouth, for lack of a better term. When I share something and I post it, then I get this stupid little warning partially true or this at what from an independent fact checker there's nothing you can do to challenge their independent fact checker all of them come out of the same political mindset and orientation i don't need some 20 something that rides to work on his skateboard with a few tattoos and a man bun telling me what i'm posting is misinformation when i know firsthand that it isn't and this is one of the problems that you have with, with social media and their fact-checking partners. And see, this tech billionaire, he's really concerned about the misinformation, not so much on the virus, but on climate change. I'll give you a good example when it comes to climate change and fascist book. I mean, Facebook. The other day, reading something totally unrelated on a different platform, I ran into an article, and it just kind of caught my eye, and I just decided to read it. It was more like a fun article. The article was in Scientific America, and the article was about, did you know that dinosaurs used to live and, and have babies up in the Arctic Circle? Now, Let me say that again. This article, this article that came out of Scientific America talking about dinosaurs roaming up there near the North Pole. And apparently they had vegetation and food to eat and everything else. And as the article says, the earth was warmer back then than it is today. Well, I made a posting on Facebook with a picture of a dinosaur eating lush stuff off trees. And I quoted that little bit of the article from Scientific America. This is on my personal Facebook account. So I got a picture of a dinosaur eating the top off a tree. And I'm talking about what Scientific America said about the earth being warmer. Well, Facebook was all over that. That's misinformation. You can't say that. 
Because, see, I challenged it saying, if that is so, then how do you know that the warming of the Earth today is supposedly man-made global warming? I mean, you're talking a time where the evolutionary people say mankind hadn't even arrived yet. Then who made the Earth warmer back in those days? And then when they get colder, I mean, in other words, I'm challenging some of the narrative. The problem with so much of the mindset about the climate change issue is simply this. They believe the Earth has had a static temperature up until about 150 years ago. The Industrial Revolution. And then you have stories saying, well, even farther back, that was not so either. To me, the climate change issue is going to become a very big issue sooner than later. When I look at the response to lockdowns because of a man-made pandemic, yes, I will say that. If I say that on Facebook, I'll be put in Facebook prison for 30 days. But I will tell you that the evidence was clear a year ago. It was clear in April of 2020. We knew that in emergency management. The It probably came from the Wuhan lab, but we were told for political reasons, you never say that. No, no, no. We can't, we can't get after the Chinese. We can't make them mad at us. Now, see, Facebook, you know, it is worth literally $1 trillion. One company worth a trillion with a T dollars. And you got... Benioff singling out Facebook and and demanding that it breaks it up because they own a lot of other stuff like Instagram and everything else. And in other words, if Facebook doesn't believe the way Benioff believes and doesn't follow the established narrative, like the virus came from a cave accidentally and it came to a wet market in Wuhan, that's the official language. See, last year, you talk about the Wuhan lab you talk about Peter Daszak from the EcoHealth Alliance. You talk about Dr. Ralph Barrick from the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And you talk about their great benefactor, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Well, you were, you were put in Facebook jail or you were told you're spreading misinformation. And now we're finding out that that was not misinformation. <laughs> it actually turning out to be true. It's like Benioff said, I own time and I'm accountable for what is produced on my platform. And now he's wanting Facebook to basically adhere to his standard of what he believes. And see, there lies the problem, singular narrative. What makes Mark Benioff demand Facebook censor what he thinks is disinformation? When some of the stuff I find on Time magazine has been total disinformation. There's a mainstream mainstream news narrative. You know it and I know it. It is dedicated to one-party rule. Those that sit behind the anchor desk at CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS, and all their little affiliates, even Yahoo News, Yahoo! They want to believe that they are now the elites, that people look up to them and respect them. 
when I look at Don Lemon or Lamont, whatever his name is, and I look at Chris Cuomo on CNN, I, I break out in laughter. These guys are complete. These are the class clowns of television. And, and the fact that they actually have people viewing them, thankfully not that many. And you have Rachel Maddow, who's sold out to a single ideology, single party, single narrative. You know, don't confuse me with the facts. I have my beliefs. There's a difference between myself and Rachel Maddow. Number one. I'm a guy and she's allegedly a woman. But I look at the world from a pragmatic point of view when I try to make decisions and figure out what's true in the news. Pragmatic, number one. Then I also temper that with a Christian worldview to understand the nature of sin and its aspect and its influence on our culture and all the things that we do. See, I believe that there is truly evil in this world. We live in a sin-distorted world. So I start from that premise, understanding that truth and honesty and integrity can often be compromised because of sin, because of evil. Evil, evil sends somebody, a youngster, with a suicide bomb into a, into a marketplace to kill people. Evil kills children in the womb. Yet we're supposed to believe that's just, you know, my body, my choice. I look at it, it's part of the overall decline of our society. One of the things that I've observed in my lifetime, and I'm certain you could be probably applied in other periods of history. As our technology has advanced has our society actually improved? Let me just run that question by you again, then I'll give you some quick observations. As our technology has improved, have we as a society gotten better? The answer is no, we haven't. There's almost like an inverse equation here. The more, the better we get at technology, the worse we get as people. I can remember maybe back in the 1960s, you could drive on the what's called the Long Island Expressway. I remember I was raised as a kid in Long Island. There was always a few people speeding down the highway, but not like today. Not like today. People will give you obscene gestures, cut you off. I mentioned the other day on this program... You drive on the interstates, and we have to do it a few times a year. As we go from Georgia to Florida, and and we come down, primarily Interstate 75 to the Florida Turnpike, and that takes us home. And you'll get on the interstate certain days of the week, and you've got people that will drive 80, 90, and 100 miles an hour on Interstate 75. Now, back when I was younger, let's say, ooh, mid-1970s, somebody driving that fast was the big exception to the rule. You saw that on rare occasions. 
This last time we were driving on Interstate 75 coming up here to Georgia. I noticed just how many people were flying at speeds that I could obviously tell because I hung around law enforcement long enough to learn. They're going 85 and 90 and above or even 100 in some cases because their car can do it. You can't make me. You can't stop me. And they figure the odds are in their favor because there's so many speeding now. Hopefully somebody else gets caught. But that's just a sign of the time that we live in. I can remember back even around 1999 when I first moved from Georgia to Florida to pastor a church. Driving on that same interstate, same areas, you'd occasionally see somebody go by you at about 78 or 80 miles an hour. Occasionally. Now it's consistently. So we haven't improved. We're getting even worse in our narcissism and our entitlement. And it's what I want, and I don't care about your safety in the process. So I look at the world as a place that is falling rapidly into evil. I look at the world becoming a more insecure place much sooner rather than later. See, I I look at, as I said, I look at things a little differently than a lot of other people do. In doing this program, for example, I've had to deal with the news of the day. And we've watched, when it just I'll use the virus for just an example. The narrative changes literally by the day. But it always comes down to the same thing. A face mask is a magic mask, and it works, and it protects you um, from, from COVID. A vaccine makes you bulletproof, and you won't die. And everybody needs it, even if you've had the virus. And little children need it so they don't kill their teacher. And now the narrative is this vaccine is pure magic. And this is coming from the mouths of politicians that not long ago said things like this. I trust vaccines. I trust scientists. But I don't trust Donald Trump. So let's go back to last year. And the vice presidential debate when Kamala Harris said... But if Donald Trump tells us that we should take it, I'm not taking it. Oh, so if it's a Donald Trump uh, vaccine, of course we're not going to take it. Can't take that virus stuff from, from Trump. Can't believe in it. Now, she did say that if if Anthony Fauci, the great scientist and the savior of COVID... The wizard of COVID. If the wizard of COVID, Anthony Fauci, says take the uh, vaccine, well, yeah, then I'll line up and I'll be one of the first to take it if Fauci says so. Isn't it funny how last year, during Operation Warp Speed, now, I don't care if you are for the virus or against it. I'm just going to put that to the side for the moment. During the time that they were working on developing a vaccine. All you ever heard out of the mouth of one Anthony Fauci was, it'll be impossible. 
it'll be totally impossible to have a vaccine by the end of the year. Maybe by the end of 2021, maybe in 2022 or 2023, but no, no, it's not going to happen in 2020. Remember that? I certainly do. He was very animate on television. Oh, no, 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 not going to work. Yet, as soon as the election was over, and and as soon as Joe Biden, by the way, yeah, Biden made him his, you know, coronavirus czar. Suddenly, Dr. Fauci, the wizard of COVID, is on board. And all he talks about now is everybody's got to get the vaccine. Everybody. And he wants little children to get this vaccine. I think it's because he knows the truth about his involvement in creating this monster called COVID, SARS-CoV-2, has his fingerprints all over it. And the sooner it goes away, the sooner Americans will forget his involvement. That's just my personal opinion. And you got Fauci running around demanding that everybody get the vaccine. Everybody has to get it. You have Joe Biden. He's telling everybody they've got to get the vaccine. He's telling everybody you've got to wear a face mask. Yet it wasn't that long ago that Joe Biden said, I don't think it should be mandatory. I wouldn't demand to be mandatory, but I would do everything in my power. Just like I don't think masks have to be made mandatory nationwide. And now, thanks to Fauci and Biden and company, people are losing their jobs. People that were heroes last year in hospitals and emergency rooms all over the United States are being told, even if they've already had COVID, you must get the vaccine or your job is terminated. You're fired. You're absolutely fired. And you've got, Joe, my mind is not as good as it needs to be to do this job. Biden is out there saying he's lost patience. He's lost patience with those that do not want to take the vaccine. The same party that says, my body, my choice, you have no choice when it comes to taking an experimental vaccine. Oh, don't give me this stuff that they've approved it, the FDA. Number one, they short-circuited their entire normal process. That's number one. They've not done all the studies a real vaccine ever gets. This is new technology. We have not done this on human beings before. Having our body create a spike protein so we build up antibodies. And hope that it doesn't go bizarre. We know, I know, and I'll maybe I'll do a story on it later this week. There have been a lot more adverse effects to these vaccines than they want you to know. We have friends of ours, my wife and I, that we see up here in Georgia. Both will lose their jobs because they refuse to take the vaccine. One definitely, hers most likely. And they're going to step out on faith. They're going to have to trust God on this one. Notice how the politics of the pandemic play into it all over again. It is a matter of control. It is a matter of controlling 
you and I, digital IDs, finding out who will do what the government says or will not do, do it. If somebody's already had COVID, why in the world would you want to risk compromising their immune system with this artificial spike protein, Dr. Fauci? Why are you so scared about the world learning about this virus? What do you and Peter Daszak, you know, the zoologist guy that has EcoHealth Alliance, what about Dr. Ralph Barrick at University of North Carolina? I'm looking at some papers that came out. I'll share in a few minutes. Just a few little things, a couple of more stories. Yeah, I try to give you truth to ponder on this program. Today's one of those kind of days I'm trying to get so much done in one day as we prepare to go to Florida. And it's not a vacation, trust me. A lot of work ahead, and I'm excited about the possibilities. We'll be talking about that more when we get down to Florida. Hoping sometime, maybe next week, to talk to my friends up here that are facing losing their jobs. You can really get it from somebody's point of view that's living that nightmare right now. Even people that are retired. You have people inside the administration in the White House that firmly believe what they really need to do with us older people, retirees. Maybe we should withhold their social security checks and take away their Medicare until they comply. Can you imagine that? What are they not telling us? I think we're being fed a pile of lies. I know it's a dangerous virus, but I think everything we've been doing for the past year and a half has just made the problem worse. The lockdowns in and of themselves have killed people. We'll talk about that too. Do you believe in this ministry that we have here at Truth to Ponder? If you do, you can still use our Georgia address. We're going to be here another week and a half. And it's 21 Berkshire, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E, 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263, in Sky Valley, two words, Sky Valley, Georgia, 30537. Beginning next week, we're going to give you a different address that'll be used. I'm using a mail forwarding service, a very reliable one that a lot of people that are in the RV world, that's how I learned. I, I'm not an RVer, but somebody suggested, and they have quite a service for business. And it was reasonable, and it, it's certainly a lot better than losing things through the post office forwarding system. That sometimes mail will not make it, sometimes it can't be forwarded, it gets returned. And so this will alleviate that. I'll give you that address next week. Keep us in prayer as we try to finish out this month of September. I cannot believe at the end of this week, it's going to be the month of October. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Beerman. Mercy from forever. Coming up. Shalom Aleichem. This is the nice Jewish boy, Jonathan Kahn, your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. Jesus' real name is Yeshua. It means salvation. And he is the salvation of God. He's the love of God. He's the mercy of God. Not just mercy, but it says in Micah 5, 2, he who comes from Bethlehem is really from the days of eternity. He's from forever. He's from forever. So it's not just God's love, but God's love from forever. God's mercy from forever. You think you've exhausted God's mercy and his forgiveness? 
You know, you let him down again and again. You fall into the same sin. Well, you know what? He's got an eternity of mercy for you. He's got an eternity because Messiah, Yeshua, is from forever. You know, once there was a pastor who said, you know, he was concerned with his sins and he was going to another pastor and the pastor said, listen, you know, you've committed many sins, you'll commit more sins, but don't commit the one sin and that is to underestimate the mercy of God, that no matter what your sin, his mercy is greater. You see, his mercy is from forever. It's a river that's everlasting. So listen, you can't exhaust the love of God. You've sinned, you come back to him and you let him cover that because his loving kindness for you is greater than your sin. How much greater? Infinitely greater. It's from the days of forever. It's infinite and it is forever in Messiah. What more ask for the days of eternity. Now the free gift for you, the mystery hidden for 2,000 years in the sands of Israel, better than Raiders of the Lost Ark, and you'll love it. It's the mystery of the temple doors and sapphire is your daily spiritual vitamin supply for a victorious life in God. How do you get this? Free easy. Just remember Jesus' real Hebrew name, Yeshua, and you dial it. That's it. Just dial 1-800-YESHUA-1. You will be blessed, but call now. That's 1-800-YESHUA-1. I invite you to minister with me in bringing the good news back to the people who gave it to you, Israel and the unreached peoples of every tribe and tongue on five continents. Just call 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. And uh, you'll be really blessed to have a part in the Great Commission. Or write me direct. Just write to the Nice Jewish Boy Box 1111 Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. It's a Nice Jewish Boy. It's Box 1111 Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. Well, till next time, this is Jonathan Kahn saying, His love is from everlasting. Shalom Aleichem. Peace be to you, my friend. In Messiah, Ahavat Adonai, who is the love of God. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. I want to welcome you back to part two of Truth to Ponder. It is a Tuesday. I'm your host, Bob Bierman. As I mentioned, we head back to Florida in the middle of next week. And we'll be down in Florida quite a while. Not exactly sure how long. Many things to do. Some pleasurable things with family. A lot of work. And of course, we'll continue to do the program. I'm hoping tomorrow to have a good friend of the program, Jim Calhoun, fill in for me because I actually need to be away. And hopefully later tonight, we can get a program put together for tomorrow because I need to be away for one day this week take care of some other business. Very exciting, all ministry stuff, by the way. But I would not be here to do the show on Thursday or tomorrow. Depends on how things work out. So you may be hearing Jim tomorrow. And if that if that's the case, Jim was on the program talking about living off the grid. And he shared his testimony how he ended up making his own electricity. A long story. And I'm sure Jim will share it again, but to make a long story short, a number of years ago, Jim was involved in a horrific car accident. He was in a classic car, got thrown out of the vehicle. Somebody hit their vehicle. And this is before cars had seat belts. This is a classic car being moved. And uh, the car actually fell on him. 
broke about every bone in his body. He was in bed for over a year or two, and they thought he would never, ever walk. They thought he was going to die, and then when they realized he was going to live, he'll never walk. Well, he'd be very compromised. Now he runs a farm, and he's out there raising hay, and and he's... <laughs> And they have cattle, so he's a very busy farmer uh, now out in uh, Nebraska. And so what's, what's been fascinating in, in talking to Jim is when I asked, well, how did you get to be off the grid? Well, during all this time of being in the hospital, and I mean, it was a tremendous time, a tremendous amount of debt. Couldn't work. You know, all the losses that can stack up. Their power got turned off. And when they went to the power company right away to turn it back on, it was because he was in the hospital. Uh, The power company wanted this outrageous deposit. Even though the family had had power on that farm for generations, they being the kind of co-op they were, nope, we want a huge deposit in the thousands. At that point, he and his wife said, we can get a generator, batteries, and time they added solar panels, They live off the grid. They run their computers and their TV and everything else on the power they make at home. And maybe with our grid being something that I figure is going to be in deep peril, sooner than later, some of what he has for us to be prepared is not a bad idea. You've listened to me many a time say, don't expect to get out a tribulation card free. You're not going to get that card. I really have, I've studied the scripture long enough to recognize that I find this rapture doctrine that we get out before the tribulation to be very questionable at best. Besides, the history of the Christian church is periods of enormous tribulation, which I don't think today's current pew sitter in America could endure. That's why many will do whatever they're told to get their life back to normal. They'll take a vaccine. They'll take a digital ID. Hey, let's get rid of cash and go cash less. Let's do a biometric way of buying groceries. Let's check out your social credit score. Maybe you're not allowed to buy as many groceries as you want. We've been watching what you post on Facebook. We don't like what you have to say. I shared yesterday In Australia, police coming to people's doors, questioning the stuff they're putting on social media. They're speaking out against the idiotic, draconian things being done in Australia, which are done by evil-minded people. This is all it is. These are globalists that want you to be under subjection and control, totally. And they're not even hiding it anymore at the World Economic Forum. There's a video I saw. I may share some of the highlights, some of the audio, maybe later this week after I go through it. But, I mean, it's just they want to rush the change in the world. And like I said earlier, Rahm Emanuel once said it, don't let a good crisis go to waste. Well, after Biden and Harris said they won't take the vaccine, they'll never be mandatory, face masks shouldn't be mandatory, blah, 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 suddenly... If he could do it tomorrow, I think Fauci would be giving the vaccine to babies in the womb if he could get away with it. He is so desperate to cover his tracks, in my opinion. I believe he's got a lot to answer for. We know he lied to the United States Senate. 
and I was reading some material that just it's it's out there. It's not hard to find. You don't even have to go to an obscure website. You can actually go to the horse's mouth, so to speak, and find out these various projects that have been done over the years. I read a great article the other day. One of those you don't normally run across in in mainstream publications. I subscribe to several, shall we say, very small online publications that have proven over the past year to be right, well thought out. And this one article states we are all cattle now because they talk about the BioNTech, which is Pfizer, and even the Moderna. All of them are basically like a livestock vaccine. They're not very safe and they don't work very well, but everybody's supposed to get them. And this article suggested there's nothing surprising about the failure of our vaccines. In fact, it is totally predictable. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, look at places where the vaccine has been pushed out even faster than the United States, like in Israel. They're having complications now. They're talking third and fourth boosters. It's not getting any better. If anything, many decent doctors that put their livelihoods and their reputation on the line are saying that these very vaccines may be the cause of some of these hard-to-stop variants. In other words, apparently a virus... It may not have a brain, but it instinctively or by nature, it works around whatever opposition it has, and it be, it morphs, it changes. And so what it's talking about, about coronavirus vaccines, you may have not known this, but coronavirus vaccines have been used in animals for years with extremely unimpressive results. See, the problem is that a coronavirus infects the mucocostal surfaces of your lungs, which is the very edge of the reach of our immune systems. You could say that's a grand strategy. They work that way in from at least our protected borders. Typically, nasal spray vaccines were preferred in animals to stimulate immunity in the mucosa. Unfortunately, even though the sprays achieve an immunity, It's short-lived, requires frequent boosting, and does not prevent reinfection. And this is after decades of vaccine development and considerably reduced safety standards observed in veterinary medicine. Think about that. They've been working on coronavirus vaccines for ages because it's common in the animal kingdom. Our own SARS-2 vaccines, despite their fancy messenger RNA and viral vector technology, are entirely of a piece with veterinarian standards and roots. They have a poor side effect profile. They provide only temporary and partial protection against the virus. And they are deployed on a vast scale with no regard for the various pressures the natural pressures that they place on a virus or their broader consequences for infection dynamics. Now, see, these are normal standards of context in when it comes to livestock, where most of the animals are raised not to live very long in any event because they're going to become food. 
And so the risk of an occasional accident, not a problem, even when they have lethal super strains. They can be weighed against the economic loss associated with the mortality from infection. See, of all the animal coronavirus vaccines, most of them successful are the ones that prevent IBV. That's infectious bronchius virus. In chickens, IBV is mainly deadly to chicks who are they're vaccinated the second that they're hatched. It's an attenuated vaccine virus. But see, once again, these chickens are not going to be living very long except maybe a few that are going to be used for for laying eggs. And so we are using the kind of vaccine technology for a coronavirus they've been trying to use for years in animals and hoping that somehow this time it works better than it did on on the animals. Think about that for a second. What we're learning is the application of a SARS, that's a severe acute respiratory syndrome vaccine, is best limited to a minimal number of targeted individuals who can be monitored. As some people that are vaccinated might, if infected by the real SARS coronavirus, become asymptomatic excretors of that virus, posing a risk to other people. It's, it's amazing the extent we're going to worldwide to eradicate this virus. We've never done anything like this in my lifetime or even before, I'm sure. Worldwide, wearing face masks, stay home, stay safe, take the vaccine, can't travel, can't post on social media, can't talk bad, about the terrible things your own government is doing to you. I stand amazed. I truly do. I stand amazed that these people that we consider experts and leaders, in Fauci's case, he lied to us over and over and over and over again, yet he's held out there, believe him now. This time he's got it right. Frankly, I don't think that he does. Frankly, I think that there are those that are looking at this crisis and using it. A lot of entities of the globalist have always wanted a worldwide digital ID and currency. We are well on our way. Now, I want to change gears for a minute. Something else we talk about on this program from time to time, and I have to remind myself of this. False preachers and teachers. I can remember last year when this whole virus started. And and I'm very cautious when I do this, but I mean, by the things that they say and they do in their own ministries, they reveal themselves and a lot of people fall for it. You you remember Ken Copeland last year. COVID-19! COVID-19! Uh, It hates heat. It hates humidity. It hates water. I can remember last year when I was back at work in emergency management. I can remember. I can remember listening to, to some of these people on radio and television at the early time of the original part of the pandemic, right about the time of the 15 days to flatten the curve. And, and people like 
Copeland and others to Plantis and and others that are, you know, they make their mega millions and they buy their million dollar jets and they're they're flying around and they're living off your money. I can remember him doing that whole bit. I actually saw it. I don't know. Someone shared it with me and I, I watched the whole thing and I was stunned with the COVID-19 and he blew the wind of God on it. Now it's going to be gone. And he declared it over and no more pandemic. And now be sure to send your money in to keep this TV program on the air and my jet aircraft in the air. They're the, they're the kind of people that give a lot of ministries some pretty bad names. I have been in ministry since 1996 as an ordained uh, clergyman. And I've had the privilege of starting several small churches that grew to a medium-sized church. But I don't think I would ever be comfortable, truly, in a megachurch. Now, that's just me. I'm not, I'm not condemning one if you go to one or did go to one. I'm just saying I, I don't see that model in the scripture of these mass, massive church buildings and, and the light shows and the praise bands and everything else that go with it. I look at the church in the first centuries, early Christians. They live their lives decently and in order with kindness and helping others. They didn't have big fancy buildings and stained glass windows as wonderful as those things are. But they had a faith in Jesus Christ to get them through the difficult times many found themselves living within. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. I mean, that's just how it was in the early church. There are writings that I've read of people that were concerned if they were not good enough Christians. Why? (laughs) Because they were not martyred yet for the faith. People loved their Lord. They lived their lives in peace, raised their families, did their work, knowing that the world hated them. The world did not like people that are Christians that stood for their faith. I got news for you. The world still doesn't like Christians at all. The world hates you if you are a follower of Christ. Now, if you're in one of those new woke church groups that have thrown out Scripture, reason, tradition, the faith handed down by the saints over the centuries, that have tossed it all out, and have created, as St. Paul says for themselves, another gospel, well, then you are somewhat beloved by the society around you, especially when you put a big rainbow flag out in front of the church, do some very strange things in, in your worship services. We live in a time that we're being gaslighted. You've heard that term before, and it comes from that old play came out years ago about a husband trying to convince his wife that she had gone crazy. And when she was not around, he would turn down the gas lights just a fraction. And over time, the room would get dark, and she'd say, Honey, it's getting dark in here. And he would say, No, it is not. There's nothing wrong. It's just you. 
That's where the term gaslighting comes from. Political parties gaslight you. Even some people that call themselves conservatives. As I've observed over the last couple of years, were conservatives in name only. The districts in which they would run, that's what they needed to get for the vote. That's where the, what the majority was. But once inside of Washington, D.C., they learned the game of good cop, bad cop. Oh, yeah, those, those evil Democrats and Pelosi. How many emails do you get, if you have email, from some political party saying, we must stop Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer today. Send your money to this pack. My inbox is loaded with those things every day. And everybody's telling me, we need to raise all this money because we're going to fix it in 2022. You just watch. We're going to fix it in 2022. Just hang in there and send us your money. Well, two things. At the rate we are descending as a nation, a people, and seeing what's happening globally, we do not have until November of 2022 to fix it. Number one, the Bible says, do not put your trust in princes and the sons of men. In other words, politicians are not your savior. You've got to stop thinking in terms that politics is going to fix this. It's not. I believe there's a good chance things could get a lot worse before or if they ever do get any better. And I have to resign myself to the possibility that we're just beginning to see this new world order A lot of people think, and I tend to agree a little bit, I'm not dogmatic yet, but I tend to agree on one thing, with the gaslighting, so to speak. Take away freedoms, give some back. Take away more freedoms and give a few more back. But you never give it all back. That's the world in which we're entering right now. I know too many people that are willing to take the vaccine. Oh, we'll get back to normal. No, we will not. Satan will never let it go back to normal. And too many in politics have sold their soul for power and the glory of politics. Hey, we know from the Arizona audit that Biden won by a handful of new votes, but there are 57,000 problem ballots. Sure. Do I believe it was a rigged election? You bet I do. Will it ever come out? I bet it will. And what happens after that? I couldn't tell you. If you believe in our work, consider supporting us. Our mailing address, 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263, 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263, Sky Valley, Georgia, 30537. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's truth, the number two, ponder.com truth to ponder shining the light of truth in a darkening world